We need to be an ingredient in what people need to be able to do what they want to accomplish. This is episode 221 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Roanoke Valley, Virginia has had some ups and downs as they planned and deployed an open access fiber optic network, but they're now on course. This year, they began providing a range of services for internet service providers and local businesses. They're also bringing better connectivity to public facilities and community anchor institutions. Frank Smith, president and CEO of the Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority, talks with Chris this week. In addition to explaining what the authority is and describing its function, Frank explains the situation in the Roanoke Valley which led to the decision to invest in the network. Frank provides information about how the authority is working to collaborate with different partners, and he also reflects on challenges and shares plans for the future. Learn more details at highspeedroanoke.net. Now here are Chris and Frank Smith, President and CEO of the Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Frank Smith, the President and CEO of Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority in Virginia. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Christopher. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I remember looking into uh, this project in years back and seeing sort of some fits and starts and, and hoping that someone would pull it all together. And over the course of this conversation, I think we'll we'll discuss that. But let's just start off and let people know, you know, um, what is going on in Roanoke Valley and even more importantly, where and what is it? The Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority, just to give you kind of a background uh, as far as where we are from a ge- uh, geographically, we're approximately three hours due north of Charlotte, North Carolina, and approximately three and a half hours uh, southwest of the Washington, D.C. metro area. And uh, not too far down the road is uh, 40 minutes is uh, Virginia Tech. When we go out about a 30-mile radius, we probably pick up a uh, population between 350 and 400,000 people. Uh, we have uh, various uh, industries that are here, uh, both on the medical side, the education side, uh, technology, uh, all sorts of other things. We're a home of the advanced auto parts, and we've got the Virginia Tech Carillion uh, Biomedical Institute and their medical school that they built here in the Roanoke Valley. So we have a lot of things going on. And the, the Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority uh, actually was created approximately, uh, I think it's about three, three, four, four years ago by a group of, uh, it was driven by citizens who saw a need to provide greater access and uh, more competition and a few things within the broadband uh, network provisioning side of things. Um, the interesting thing for us is that they call this a, a donut hole. Uh, I actually like donuts and probably too much, but uh, I like the fact of the analogy of, of the donut holes because that's something I can understand pretty easily. Also, donut holes much more healthy than entire donuts. Yes, that's a great rationalization. I like you already. <laughs> this is good. Yeah, we just don't tell my wife. That's all right. Uh, Krispy Kreme uh, has a store here, and I have to try to stay away. But uh, the one thing is about the donut hole is that uh, we are not big enough to be what we considered an NFL city to get you know, large investment to come in there from a provisioning or from a network planning standpoint. Uh, we have some good existing providers that are here. Uh, but we're not getting the same level of investment, which leads to additional also competition here because we're not on that size. At the same time, uh, we're too large to get a lot of the uh, federal 
funding and other state and local funding. We have urban areas, we have suburban, we do have rural, but uh, for example, when we get tobacco commission money or other types of things, uh, which would be part of the Commonwealth of Virginia, we're, we're too big. Um, I, some, I sometimes simplify that in terms of saying that you're basically, you know, you're big enough to have some good cable, decent cable systems, uh, but you're not good enough to really expect that there will be a better option beyond that. And you're in that challenge in that because you already have decent service, no one wants to fund you to get better service, whereas places that have practically no service, they do tend to get some source of help. We've got a, a fairly unique situation, and I think that's where the business community specifically drove this. It didn't come out of the government side first. The government side became a partner of what the with the uh, key leaders within the government community driving this. So the one thing that we talked about it was the importance of for us. We recognized that uh, there was a requirement for an open access network, and an open access network is not a, a sole source provider. It allows other people to write on the network. So we wanted to encourage competition, but also we wanted to encourage uh, companies to be able to come in here and provide different types of services and also work with existing providers too. So we look at it a couple ways. We look at uh, partnering with the existing providers that are here, providing additional backbone for them to use, but also for us to provide services as required. We look at three verticals, government, education, and business. Uh, we are not into the res uh, our goal is not residential broadband. Uh, that's not our play right now. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, we're looking at uh, different ways to uh, to partner. So, for example, we've already been approached by uh, companies here locally in the area, uh, wireless internet service providers who are interested in, in uh, providing the last mile. We've had uh, landline internet service providers looking to, to uh, use the physical infrastructure to then build out to communities. So they could, in that case, take a look at providing residential uh, service. We would not. We'd be the enabler if they wanted to use our, our middle mile. And then we also have, have groups that have taken a look specifically uh, what we've done. Uh, we formed a group down here, uh, created a chapter, what they call the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association. This is a huge group. It's been around for 70 years. But the point is we've got a, uh, a growing uh, defense industry here. Uh, both you know, figuratively and literally above and below the radar uh, with different <laughs> groups. And so what we're trying to do there is saying, look, we've got a great infrastructure. We're building it out. Um, and also the equipment we're using, our particular network, is all certified. The, the switches and the routers, they're all certified uh, under a Defense Department process called, uh, not getting too far in the weeds, but called JITIC Joint Interoperability Test Command. They take a look at vulnerabilities. So we made sure that was a table stakes requirement for the vendors that we put into the network. The key thing is that uh, we're close enough but far enough away from some of the key centers such as Charlotte and D.C. Uh, we've seen success right down the road several hours from us where people have been able to put in uh, disaster recovery sites or data centers in service of both uh, state and federal players like the U.S. House of Representatives. But the key thing is that there are different things that we look at. We have groups here that need to be aware of who we are they need to be aware of each other. So at the end of the day, our purpose, our primary purpose is economic development. So a lot of our listeners, I think, are more familiar with municipalities doing these sorts of things. You're actually right. an authority. What does that mean? We were able to create this under the Wireless Broadband Act. I think it's uh, 1999, which was passed by the state legislature. And the authority, we are technically called a political 
subdivision of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So what that allows us to do is we've uh, we have brought together uh, four municipalities, the County of Roanoke, the City of Roanoke, uh, Botetourt County, and then the City of Salem. And uh, three of those are financially participating right now. Uh, a fourth, uh, I think, will be coming down the road as they take a look at how they want to expand into their particular area. And so uh, we call it an authority. We've done something very similar. It's, it's actually uh, an organizational construct uh, that's authorized uh, within the Commonwealth of Virginia. And, uh, for example, we have a local water authority, and that's similar to the Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority. Uh, we are subject to the uh, procurement integrity rules of the Commonwealth of Virginia. So obviously we have fully transparent books. So everything is we have uh, primary, secondary, tertiary checks as far as how we spend and account for things. Uh, those are all subject to Freedom of Information Act. So everything is clear and open. So uh, we are subject to uh, oversight. So let's talk a little bit about your plan. You, you're very enthusiastic about open access. Uh, what is currently happening in terms of where you're able to build out and target and that sort of thing? So there are a couple of things going on. We've been in production uh, for, uh, I want to say fully production live, for four months. And I've been with the authority for it's almost 14 months. And uh, during that time, we took it from... Uh, bidding out and uh, selecting the first for the first phase of the of the uh, the network, the first 50 miles, 144 strands of uh, Comscope microfiber, and uh, then we put in a four channel conduit, and we have we're only using one of the four paths. So the key on that is that we can uh, lease that out, we can expand our existing fiber, uh, we can do all sorts of things. So there's capacity that that's built in. But that means that other folks can come in and use our both our fiber and our conduit. We've also, under that the first initial 144 strands of fiber, uh, we've taken part of that and we said, okay, 25% of that, or approximately 34 strands, uh, will be used for dark fiber. And for those who are not familiar with dark fiber, it's the uh, unlit glass or unlighted glass um, that uh, we've had several carriers approach us and are taking a look at uh, leasing uh, dark fiber from us. So they can get through uh, different points in the network, serve different customers, and uh, without having to build additional infrastructure. So that is good on a couple of things. First, it's good for us because it's it's a revenue stream, and we have a, an operating budget, and we have a pro forma, which is basically our, our business plan that we need to stick to. Uh, we need to be breaking even from an operating expense stamp, OPEX, within uh, 5.9 years, and that started in May of uh, twenty. Uh, 2016, so that clock is ticking. So it helps us generate revenue, but also allows other folks to use facilities without having to come in and, and build. Uh, and that goes for both the carriers that are here and also carriers that want to come in or entrepreneurial uh, carriers or startups that want to use our facilities. So that's one. That's the dark fiber. So we've got 25% allocated for that. The second thing we have uh, specifically is what we call transport services. So let's, let's imagine that you've got the dark fiber or the dumb glass, and you've got to be able to connect that. You've got to put electronics on it because it takes lasers that send the light that transmit the data. So let's say you've got two locations uh, or three locations in the area, and you need to get from point A to point B to point C, and you're not interested necessarily in Internet traffic or passing packets out the area down the backbone of the Internet, 
but you need transport. You might have data center facilities or things like that, or you want to be able to run other applications. You can strictly get transport from us or take a combination of different things. So that's where we would use our electronics to light up the glass and allow the fiber and allow you to pass your traffic. The third option is really is really taking the transport or the stuff that's illuminated with our lasers or switching equipment, the optical transport equipment that they call it, and then uh, taking it and then taking it up to what they call a layer three service or being able to take it out and onto the internet, get internet service. And we have uh, redundant, uh, we've built in disaster recovery, redundant pass, diverse routing. Uh, these are all uh, table stakes, and if you're not familiar with them, these are things that uh, when you build a network, they talk about carrier grade. Uh, they have things like, you hear the word NEPS, Network Equipment Building Compliant. When you look at the network, you've got to have redundancy. You've got to be have ability to restore quick, quickly because otherwise your out-service can cause all sorts of cascading failures in the network. And the third is resiliency. We've got routes uh, going up north and we've got routes going south. We recently had a storm here, uh, not in the area, but uh, that hit uh, one of the surrounding states which took out a lot of service, a lot of uh, backhaul service and poles and things like that. We were not affected, which was good. We were able to maintain our service. We didn't have an outage, and that's because we had redundancy. Now, fortunately, both our paths uh, were not affected, but if one is, it automatically switches to the other. So the key thing is that for a carrier or for somebody who wants to come on our network, we have to have those standards. Those standards have to be met because otherwise we're not carrier-grade. We're substandard. And so that's one of the things that we built into. Open access uh, really has a lot of facets to it. Uh, the key thing is that uh, everybody can write on it and use it, which then generates interest, shows businesses what they can be doing. Uh, they can use other folks to supply that service to them. They could be providers for themselves. You've got more choice, and I think from a consumer standpoint, whether regardless of what market you're in, and the markets that we address are, are business, government, and education. So if I'm a provider and I'm trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B, um, about how many locations do you have where I could hop on and hop off? It depends on where they want to connect. There are many places. There are places where we could, uh, uh, they could splice into us, in, into our network, uh, depending on where the, uh, the equipment is or where they want to connect. Uh, there, uh, there are things called handholes, and if you're walking along the street and you see a box that's level with the uh, the pavement, you'll see for us, it'll say RVBA fiber, Roanoke Valley Broadband Fiber. So those are places where we have uh, uh, connection points uh, in some cases. We have over 300 of those, but that's places where the fiber is connected and people can also be able to splice in if we need to connect customers or other locations. The other way is we do... Uh, Co-location facilities, co-locates, which are, we have five optical switches or main switching centers. Uh, we have one that's called, uh, it's a co-location for Mid-Atlantic Broadband Communities or MBC. Yes, we've had them on the show before actually. Tad DeRizzo. We, uh, we work with them. They're a great partner. And then specifically, we co-locate in uh, one of their facilities. So we actually hand off to them. They hand off back to us. And, and then in addition to that, uh, we also have uh, other places. There's what they call the Higher Education Center. Beautiful building. And they repurposed that building uh, to be the Higher Education Center. I think it's the uh, the Roanoke uh, 
Roanoke Higher Education Center, if I get that correct. And so multiple universities in there are teaching, but uh, that do that as a remote teaching site. But in addition to that, they have a great facility, uh, which is used as a pot point of presence or uh, a switching center, which is hardened. And we put uh, switching equipment in there, so that's another place that they connect. And some other carriers come in there already. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, we actually manufactured a telecommunications uh, hut. And you sometimes see these. They're about maybe 12 by 16 by 8 feet tall. And we put those in. And there's a place where folks can connect in there if they want to co-locate. But then there are two others. Uh, we're at the Salem Data Center. Salem is one of the municipalities. They were actually in their data center, and that's a place where we can cross-connect to other carriers who want to use our facilities, and we can cr cross-connect to facilities from other carriers if we need to get out, and we've done that. And then the one that we I think is probably the crown jewel, um, and this is where it gets interesting from a community standpoint, is Blue Ridge PBS. And Blue Ridge PBS is you know uh, public broadcasting. I think it's public broadcasting service or system. Blue Ridge PBS, and their facility was built in the 60s. They are a great local asset. Um, you know, nobody can be against Elmo or Big Bird, so I look at it that way. And they've been great. We've been working with uh, James Baum, and uh, he is the present CEO of Blue Ridge Public Television. Uh, we've been working with uh, uh, Will Anderson, uh, their, who's their vice president over there. I think he's actually technically the, the COO. And then uh, Dan Ulmer, who's their director of network engineering. And these guys have been tremendous. So we have put one of our main switching centers there, but we're also developing a co-location uh, slash uh, data facility there because their television, television and operations center is a hardened facility, raised floor. Basically, it's a computer room. They've got uh, backup, huge backup uh, Caterpillar diesel generator, all these great things. That's our They are consolidating their equipment. Their equipment's gotten smaller and smaller. So that's freed up a lot of space. So we have worked with them, and we've been able to put a series of uh, Great Lakes cabinets in there. And uh, we have one of our switches in there. And But in addition to that, we have room to expand. So we're talking to several uh, providers right now who want to co-locate there and be able to cross-connect into our system. That's great because it's a revenue stream for the Blue Ridge PBS because they own the facility. We're leasing parts. And so they can rent and get, gain a new revenue stream to help them in their in their budget. And then the other part of that, we're selling capacity. So it's a win-win, and we've got a great partnership, and they're an integral part of the community. And the other thing good, which is good about this too, we think you know how we play. It's just not about technology, but it's how you're going to impact the people in your community that you live with and that you want to support. Blue Ridge PBS is a good example of that. Um, right down the road, is uh, Virginia Western Community College, which is part of the uh, Virginia Community College system. One of the things for us, they've connected into our network, uh, and they're using a series of different things to be able to take advantage of it. So there are potential things down the road. We're a facilitator. We're providing an open asset access network to stimulate growth and economic development, which translates into we need to be an, an ingredient in what people need to be able to do what they want to accomplish. That's our goal. We're there to serve. This goes back to Virginia Western. They have a program uh, on mechatronics, which I guess is more how things work in a system as far as assembly, manufacturing. And due to the fact that they were able to do this and be, have this ability, 
that became a key ingredient in attracting an overseas Italian maker, I think, of battery or transmission systems for electric cars, hybrid cars. One thing leads to the other. So we want to make sure that we're providing or enabling different groups to support their missions, execute their missions by providing telecommunications services in an open environment, which stimulates growth, stimulates creativity, and more important for me is innovation because that makes a difference in the community. One of the things that, that I love hearing from people is, is this idea of, of the open access, of, of building a network that's open to many people and encouraging innovation. And so I, I certainly salute you for that. But we don't always find that the existing providers are so excited about um, dealing with the competition of, of uh, the providers that you may well facilitate coming into town. Although uh, I'm sure that, you're, as you've said, your network is open to the incumbents. They just tend not to like that business model so much. I'm curious if you've seen any pushback from them? Oh, well, sure. I mean, we're the new kid in the block, right? We're new. And we are a uh, disruptive force in a uh, medium-sized to smaller market. Usually, at any time, regardless of who it is, it creates waves. The question is, what do you do with that? Because waves have energy. So the question is, how do you translate that into something productive? So again, as I said before, we got a couple carriers who we're working with. We just hired a vice president of engine, uh, network engineering and operations, a guy by the name of Dave Armantrout. He's been in the industry for a long time, knows how to work specifically with the existing providers. My belief, all boats rise and fall with the same tide. If we're generating new abilities to track customers, retain customers, and grow the network usage that customers require, that benefits everyone in the community, and that includes the existing providers. We have places where we have existing providers already leasing facilities from other providers. In this case, it's a, a, a municipal provider who already has some fiber. It's one of the municipal providers that we, we partner with or actually is part of our network. It's a, it's a question of its time, education, and most of all, patience, but probably the bottom line is perseverance. I am uh, rationally optimistic. We will uh, grow our relationships um, let me ask you about something that I'm wondering if it's an old joke yet with the, uh, the ice cream. Um, ah. I know when we, when we spoke last, it was still something that you were laughing at. I, I'd assume at a certain point you're going to say, oh, I just, I just wish we could get beyond this. But uh, for my listeners, <laughs> tell us about the ice cream. I'm a public servant. Regardless of what I think personally or professionally, I'm here to serve. That's the other difference that they throw. I, I am a public servant. So. The folks, you know, remember part of the interesting thing is we've got it's kind of a public private uh, thing that we're going on here because we're, we're entrepreneurial in how we're running this the business, but yet we're also are sticking to good, practical, uh, you know, fiscally responsible uh, spending and planning. Uh, so that's at the core of this. That's just table stakes. We can't get away from that. But then we carry over on, on the more of the public policy side. So you have elected officials who are representative, you know, or elected by their um, constituents to serve. Part of it in the course of uh, politics is always discourse. And whether you like the discourse or not, that's their job, and they can speak their mind because we've got a, we live in a democracy, technically a republic, but we, act, we, have, get, we have a democratic system. As far as the ice cream, the ice cream authority, uh, somebody had said that uh, we should be selling ice cream uh, we'd like the government getting into that business. 
one of the things that that you were talking about earlier was is just how important redundancy and reliability is and one of the arguments that we saw raised was this idea that that you aren't doing anything that isn't already available in the market and so that therefore um, it might be similar to the county or the city or any public entity deciding that they were going to open an ice cream shop and try to um, you know perhaps run the other ice cream shops out of business the short answer is that redundancy is basically a table stakes requirement in telecommunications. You need to have multiple paths. You need to have multiple providers. Uh, that is a, that argument does not uh, does not hold water, because at the end of the day, the more competition they have, the more options you have, the stronger your community is, the stronger it is for those who need to rely on that service. It's an interesting illustration. It's entertaining, but it's not accurate. And one of the things that I enjoyed was seeing that the local newspaper actually did an editorial on it. And for me, it's always important to see that um, if it's something that the local paper feels strongly about, that's, uh, it, it indicates something to me, I think. The paper is the fourth estate, and I have a lot of respect. Sometimes I agree with what they put in the paper. Sometimes I don't. But at the end of the day, that's their job, a very good job, and, uh, and their uh, op-eds and other things have been uh, very supportive, but they've also asked a lot of questions, and they've gone through our books and done other things, and we've opened our books. In particular, they've asked for, they wanted to do FOIAs or Freedom of Information Act requests, and we said, no, don't worry about it. Just come on and see our books. We have a good team, and we are doing what I consider the right thing for the community, and part of that all goes back to what's the motivation? It's economic development through, in this particular case, an open access network, which is built upon a desire, not just from the government side, but really both on public-private, on the business side, government education and business, to go forward and create something that's different, that's a competitive advantage for the Roanoke Valley. Well, that's one of the other things I wanted to, to mention is actually as you leave the Roanoke Valley, I think one of the challenges you face is that heading over to Richmond, you're going to run into some pretty powerful lobbyists. And a lot of times uh, local governments, you know, your authority, you don't have the capacity to be there every day, every night when these arguments are happening. Um, you know, are you seeing anything coming out of Richmond that worries you? Well, I think the thing is it's not a question of stuff – worry me out of Richmond is being, being aware. We can't keep our head in the ground so long. And uh, so we need to make sure that our voice is heard. We need to make sure that we do it accurately, succinctly, and most importantly, that we don't waste people's time. We've got to be on, on the mark as far as what we're about. Part of that goes to is making sure we have an obligation to our customers. I have an obligation to my board and to the community. Uh, we're making sure that uh, we are following things. There are different uh, channels. Uh, we have uh, things that we can use specifically that make sense so that uh, those who are in the public policy arena are aware of who we are, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and most importantly, why is it important to them because of the, uh, the impact it has on us as citizens. Excellent. Is there anything else uh, going on there that, that you want to make sure we cover that we haven't talked about yet? We're really excited on trying to develop new verticals for this area, and in particular on the defense side, because we've got great cooperation with the folks down there at, in the Blacksburg uh, community, which is only you know thirty miles, thirty-five miles away. Right, and that's Virginia Tech. I mean, those that's uh... yeah, it's Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, and they've got their corporate research center, 
we've got strength in our region. We've got strength in our individual municipalities, and we've got strength in the region that is here as a whole. And that region is technically considered the New River Valley, but we're working together. We see even a, a good play for us on just the strength of the southwestern part of Virginia. And so the, uh, the chapter with the Armed Forces Communications Electronics Association, uh, which is actually headquartered out of the northern Virginia area, will gain greater awareness as far as what's down here and, more importantly, uh, what can be brought here. So I'm really excited about that because that's something that's going to be a benefit for uh, both the area here and also for the greater region. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Christopher. That was Frank Smith, President and CEO of the Roanoke Valley Broadband Authority in Virginia. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Send an email to podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks.org. Thanks to the group Mojo Monkeys for their song Bodacious License to Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 221 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Mm-hmm.